0: Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So, we need to log an event that we have started the show. Duly noted. And then when the show ends, we'll log another event that the show has ended. And we can use this to make our, our event log for our, our podcast. Uh, this is <laughs> Logging in apps is about as exciting as this intro has been so far. Uh, But it actually, I have found it to have some significant value and and some context here for what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, there's been all sorts of like, you know, logging frameworks uh, that you can embed into your app. Uh, to go beyond just, like, NSLog and, and to actually have things like uh, different logs for different things, to have different subsystems of your app be logging in different ways, uh, customization of how and where they're logged, persistence of logs, uh, maybe some display of the log on device for debugging or for, you know, including in, in, you know, beta bug reports and stuff like that. And I recently started diving into this world, um, I guess, rediving into it. I used to, a long time ago, I used, what was that one, Coco Lumberjack? I used that forever ago.
1: That sounds right, but that's yeah. It feels like a very long time ago.
0: Yeah, um, I I don't even know. I think it's still maintained, but I, I haven't I haven't used it in a while. Um, but in in the latest Overcast beta series, I part of this update to the app is that I rewrote a whole bunch of subsystems, or or at least I refactored or modernized them in significant ways. Uh, many of the substance the subsystems of the app are now rewritten in Swift. Uh, many of them are, if not rewritten, uh, at least now interacting with rewritten components. Uh, So there's been a lot of changes under the hood. And as part of my uh, testing and quality control process, I wanted to have some kind of persistent logging that I could log stuff that happened in the app and, importantly, on the Watch app. I could log them to a file somewhere in the app's control and then I could have that file be emailed to me if people had bug reports or they could paste it into the Slack um, or I could even just look at it and see with my own app, like, you know, what's going on with my app when I'm not connected to the to Xcode, like, wh- what what happens overnight? Do I get the background refreshes and stuff like that? And so I built out, of course, because I I it's me. I built out my own custom locking thing, of course. Um, and it's <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> and this and this is part of the reason I do these things myself so often is that I want things to be like exactly what i need but no more than that uh, I, I like things to be very simple and so my logging quote framework is one file and i think it's you know maybe a hundred lines of code it's not there's not much to it um but it's it, it, it's good for me um, and and the main difference uh between it and just NSLog is persistence to a file and that's about it uh, like pretty much everything else i about it is is pretty basic, um, just you know print, printing, formatting formatted strings with timestamps on them. Um, but I have found this to be an incredibly useful tool, not only for just general app quality, but also just to see like the things I've rewritten are they working right? You know, are like what, how are they behaving? Are they behaving the way I intended them to behave? And is there anything about them that is either you know that either is broken or that needs improvement or that could be improved Um, and i found a number of these uh throughout my overcast beta process so far uh thanks to this logging that i added just i mean i I just added it maybe a few weeks or a month ago so it's actually been pretty recent but uh, i'm curious dave do you do anything like this any kind of like persistent logging and you know bug report log attachment kind of stuff
1: so, I, I use it, but only internally. Like, I've never I've never built something like this in a way that that is ever customer-facing or even beta-customer-facing. Like, it's always been something that... Um, and I think, especially, again, on the watch, it's a situation where I found... Um, I know when I was developing a lot of workout stuff uh, on the watch, there was a lot... It was just... The nature of doing workouts was that it was very inconvenient to be connected to Xcode while I was, like, <laughs> going for an outdoor run. Right. Um, and so... I needed to build a bunch of, you know, like essentially persistent logging into the application just to the degree that I could like keep track of what was going on and, you know, identify any bugs or issues or make sure that things were writing to HealthKit correctly. And so I've done it in that sense but it's never been something that I've sort of wrapped up to a point where it would ever be, you know, had a nice pretty um exterior to it. Mostly what I'm doing is just like, you know, uh turning on iTunes file sharing and have the having the app just like dump a log file um into the, you know, the apps stock documents directory that I can pull out uh, from Finder. Um but it's definitely it is one of those funny things that I feel like, you know, if if Ultimately, the best way to like debug a view is to put a border around all your views. (laughs) Uh, And the best way to debug logic or sort of anything slightly more complicated is with like logging statements. Like, whatever, every year Apple comes out with these amazing cool things in Xcode where it's like their crazy view debugging thing or the memory architecture or all these things that they've come up with and they keep improving the logging system. And that's cool, but like, I find in day to day practice, like a big, a good, well placed log statement is just worth its weight in gold. So it's kind of one of those funny things about being a developer is that like, you know, I, when I was early days of developing, I, th- maybe I thought I was like, Oh, this is just like what noobs like me do. Um, but now it's like, I'm less of a sort of less of a, um, a beginner at this, but I still, you know, my apps are constantly filled with log statements. And it's just, it's such a useful way to visualize kind of inter- turning the, uh, Sort of multi-dimensional complexity of an application into just a linear flow of events, um, and that like that simplification is so powerful uh, at helping us diagnose problems or even just like verifying that things are working correctly, um, even if it isn't in from a purely diagnostic perspective.
0: Oh yeah, and like, I, and I have found, I mean, you mentioned the um, you know the watch workout case. This this to me like this is where logging is incredible. Because it isn't just about workout apps; it's just any watch app. Like debugging on the Apple Watch is slow and unreliable, and, and is never a very fun process. And so sometimes you need to know, like you know, what, what was going on during the other ninety five percent of the time that I'm that my app exists on my watch. Like what what's going on that other rest of the time? You know, is it getting those background updates? Is it crashing? Uh, is you know, like there's certain things that are just easier to spot or pull out of a log file than to try to figure out it through, you know, direct debug uh, methods. Um, and so this has been kind of like my, my, my slow process of like modernizing and, and improving my app. Um, even crash logs. Like I, 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 added my own crash reporter, um, a few versions ago now where it submits to my server, any uncaught exception crash logs because Apple's crash logs, I think at the time, and I think still today, uh, for uncaught exceptions, they don't tell you what the exception was. Uh, they just tell you it's an uncaught exception that was thrown here, and they might tell you like the name of it, but they won't tell you any of the like the, like the the parameters or the, like the, the description string or anything like that. So I found it hard to debug that um, just from Apple's own crash reports because I didn't know like okay there was an exception thrown you know on this dictionary line like well it's probably something was nil or something but I don't know that for sure and it's it would be nice to know like what's the, what's the actual message being thrown here. Um, and so I built in my own very basic, like, uncaught exception handler crash reporter uh, a few months back, and it, it sends them to my server. And I have a little shell script that I can run based on the, uh, the UUID of each crash that gets reported. I can automatically look up the symbolicated uh, symbols in my archives – And run run this shell script, and it 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 symbolicates the whole crash log for me most of the time. (laughs) Symbolication works most of the time. (laughs) Um,
1: That's 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 the the case with any any (laughs) crash reporting system I've ever worked worked with. Is it's like most of the time it works perfect. Some of the times, not at all. Exactly. And again, and and this is another.
0: You know, I'm building all this stuff myself in part because I'm just you know that that kind of jerk, and I, I only trust my own code to do most things, but also it It really keeps things a lot simpler and uh, more privacy conscious. you know, I, I don't want to be using some big service to do something that I can do fairly simply myself. you know if it's some if if I need a really big pain in the butt problem solved, like, hosting servers like that's i don't want to physically deal with servers so i outsource that to our friends at linode and this is not a sponsorship (laughs) i outsource it to linode because running servers is a really big deal that i don't want to do myself but stuff like having a log framework in my app that's a really small deal that like i don't have massive needs for that i need to write statements to a file and be able to get to that file sometimes (laughs) like that's that's it (laughs) and so doing stuff like this myself i feel like is is worth that trade-off if you're if you're in a bind and you know you don't have a lot of time obviously i don't i, don't, I would understand completely for people who were like you know that's fine for marco but i i have to use whatever this free service is by google or twitter or facebook or whatever and i i just i don't have the kind of needs that would need something big like that when it's something simple like this but i do get a lot of value out of having this kind of functionality at all and to me that's that's a perfect recipe for like you know something that's good to write
1: yourself yeah, and I think what's interesting there is that sense of hey, it's like identifying the need. I think is the first step, though. Like in terms of with both of these things, like what are you actually trying to do? Is this something that you know that you're trying to ultimately expose to your mainstream users? Is it going to have a wide um, audience and user base? Like those are the kind of things that you need to make sure you understand. It I think too ahead of time for whether it makes sense to build it yourself or even just what this looks like from a privacy perspective and what the privacy implications are. Um, you know, if it's something that you only expect to turn on and have active, say during, uh, beta builds, um, there's a different set of kind of privacy expectations and things that you need to communicate in those contexts than if it's something that's going to go out to, um, you know, your main big users. And so I think that's also the thing to keep in mind. And like, whether you build it yourself or, um, you know, use a hosted thing, it is one of those, like, increasingly I find myself just trying to, as much as I can, just build things myself because, Honestly, I'm just, I'm so, I have such anxiety about all the, the, the things going on with the privacy space right now in, with Apple, where, you know, with their tracking changes and the IDFA changes and all these things, like there's just so much ambiguity there that it's like anytime you can just take away one of the like, huh, if I, you know, if I include this thing, is it going to end up being a giant pain down the road? Or am I going to end up, you know, being caught up in something where, even if you're not using the parts of that framework or library um that could be creepy, like then your app is flagged by Apple, and App Review looks at you and says, "Oh no you, you know because you link to this thing, then you have to do it and so it's like in that sense, like a rolling it yourself, I think makes sense, and especially as long as you can you know roll it out in a way that is reasonable in terms of time it takes to build and time it, and sort of expense in terms of hosting, which um, is you know probably fairly manageable. It's definitely sort of something that I've sort of found myself doing a lot more. And you know, it's like not not to your degree where I think you you build everything yourself. Um, there are a few things that I'll I'll still outsource, but um, I definitely I'm sort of heading in that direction myself um, over over time. We are sponsored this week by Pingdom.
0: Do you have a website and does it have things like a shopping cart or a registration form or a contact page? If you answered yes to any of those questions, you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. But the good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when things like cart checkout or forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom can let you know the moment any of them fail in whatever way is best for you. You fully customize how you're alerted, who is alerted, when you're alerted, depending on the outage's severity and pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible so if disaster strikes you will be the first to know so you can get in there and fix it it's super easy to get started i've personally been a pingdom customer for oh man maybe 10 years it's been a long time <laughs> uh, because I, it's a great service for monitoring pretty much anything um, so you can see for yourself pingdom.com slash relay fm right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, use promo code RADAR at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Once again, pingdom.com slash RelayFM, code RADAR for 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I'm curious, like, you know, like, I, I actually, I've been... Using this, you know, using this kind of system in Overcast, both the logging and then a different kind of logging that I will get to in a second, and I've actually made significant uh, quality fixes and and like usage fixes from this logging. Um, like I, I found uh, last week, I found that I, I had actually forgotten in certain cases to schedule the next background refresh task for Overcast, and I was able to verify this by looking at my own log and saying, "Oh, this like." This is somehow wrong. Like I'm not getting background refreshes all night long, and I had a couple of beta tests report the same thing. Like, hey, I got a background refresh like at midnight, and then nothing until like eight in the morning. Like it's supposed to be more often than that. And uh, and I was able to look and and find the issue. And like, oh, I, I wasn't fixing this correctly, and and so I was able to, I was able to do it. Um, one other thing I saw in my data usage or in in my um, main logging is I noticed that uh I was running new artwork fetches for podcasts much more often for for certain shows than i thought it was necessary and and i know this because i would see like atp said it had a new artwork version and i thought i didn't change the artwork for atp like i'm pretty sure like something is wrong here you would know right definitely know right and i noticed like after like every time it would sync artwork it would say atp's artwork had changed and i was like that's that's not right and, and I, I traced it to, actually, a server bug that, depending on, like, which server had checked the artwork, like, these two servers had a slightly different version of image magic on, on them, and so they would encode the artwork to, to a different sequence of bytes depending on which server encoded it.
1: Wow. And so,
0: I, like, I discovered this whole, you know, image bug, I'm like, oh, so I was able to fix that server side, uh, basically comparing the bytes before compression instead of after, uh, which I should have been doing the whole time anyway, but oh well. Oh uh, no one no one's perfect. <laughs> and so I was able to fix the server-side bug because I was noticing in my own local logs in the app, hey, this isn't right. Um and then this other thing I that I was working on, I've gotten some reports here or there over, over the years of using of making Overcast. People often report that it uses a lot of cell data sometimes. And it's really hard to debug that, because especially an app that's designed to let you download large numbers of, <laughs> of podcasts, like, it's kind of hard to, to know when someone says it uses a lot of data. Like, Is that my fault or theirs? Um, and So I'm, I built this whole feature into the current beta version that'll be shipping soon um, that actually tracks data usage logging. Like, it actually it logs every single bit of data that I can find a way to track my app using. It logs it. Um, And this is largely thanks to a thing that I don't know if many people know about. Um, On NSURL session, there's a delegate method that was added a few OS versions ago. Um, Something something did finish collecting metrics for task and there's this whole like URL session task metrics object that will tell you for any URL task that you want to know about it'll tell you whether it went through any redirects what they were um and then all the the byte usage for all their different requests and it'll send you know the the bytes from the headers bytes from the bodies like it tells you all that stuff in this in this URL metrics object and so i went through my app and i audited like all the network fetches i could find and added this metrics collection and i have this whole feature now that categorizes and, and, and shows you, in the similar way to, like, I have, like this like, a, a storage usage screen that shows you storage by podcast. I now have a similar screen in the current beta for data usage. And it, it'll break down for each podcast. Like, all right, here's how much data was spent on audio, images, sync data, and updates, etc. And what I found was that certain podcasts that I was subscribed to were sending huge amounts of data as feed updates. And I noticed, like, wait, like, why is this feed using, like, 20 megabytes of data in a day? Like, that's that's a ton of feed updates. And I eventually traced it to the specific issue <laughs> where certain feeds now, especially this is, this is very common with, um, like, user-specific private feeds. So any, any, like, premium content that you subscribe to that you pay for, or, like, Patreon feeds, things like that, where each user gets their own feed and there's, like, a big hash after it. ATP's feed works that way as well. Um, many of these feeds are now doing uh, hashed enclosure URLs. So they'll have, at the end of each audio enclosure URL, they'll have some giant long URL hashed with a time-bombed, time-expiring link, like an S3 signed URL or something like that. And every time you fetch the feed, or maybe every 15 or 30 minutes, those URLs all change. Which means that every single time this feed is fetched by Overcast servers, the entire feed has changed because all of its uh, download URLs have changed. This causes tons of sync data because the way Overcast works is whenever your app checks in with the servers and something has changed about the feed, it downloads whatever has changed. And so these feeds that had like per-user hashes that would change every hour or 15 minutes or whatever, they were just causing huge amounts of data transfer, but the only changes were the enclosure URLs. And so I was able to fix that even server side as well, where uh, I just redirect all downloads now through like, you know, an overcast.fm slash download slash giant long hash URL, which then that redirects to whatever the current enclosure URL is in the feed. But what that means to the app is that those URLs are no longer changing every hour for all those feeds, which means that those feeds now have way, way less data usage on the sync side of things. And I was only able to find that because of all these logging features I'm building into the app, and so and like so it seems really boring. It's this seems like a like a kind of like a, a grunt work boring task, um, but I really have gotten a lot of significant value out of just you know selectively adding a few bits of logging and a few metric collection things here and there. Um, and there is this, also this whole other system I wanted to mention that I haven't looked fully into yet, but there's an API called Metric Kit. That was added in iOS 13, and I and a little bit expanded in iOS 14. This is a whole Apple API for things like total data usage of your app, uh, disk writes, crash logs, CPU usage, etc. And it's not real time, so it's not. It's like you you basically get like an update like once a day or something like that. I haven't done a lot of work against it yet, but I'm trying to add it into my logging and and kind of you know have this augment what I'm already logging and and kind of check check my work on certain areas like the network transfer stuff. And I think it's a, it's this great framework that like you know it's not showing you anything new that you can't just get from like the xcode uh you know summary tabs for like energy logs and stuff like that at least, at least I don't think it is or at least it's it's not doing too much more than that, but it's nice to be able to have that locally in the app and then to be able to associate like certain high usage scenarios with like all right, well, how many podcasts does this person subscribe to and so if somebody subscribes to five podcasts and they're having high data usage That's a very different scenario than if they subscribe to 500 podcasts and they have high data usage so you know it, it's it's nice to be able to have this kind of stuff in the app and and to be able to find other quality issues that like your own logging couldn't catch
1: yeah and i think what's interesting too is it's the like so much of this is about like logging lets you check your assumptions It's like, there's so many of these things where, like, you assume, you were saying, it's like, you know, I assume that I'm, you know, I'm requesting all my background app refreshes. Um, and so every, so if I'm not getting them, it's because, you know, the system's doing something wrong. Um, and you've made this assumption that, like, of course, every time I start one, I, you know, schedule the next one. Um, and it lets you kind of check your work on that. Or it's like, you assume, it's like, why would feeds be changing all the time? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, turns out there's, there's a reason for that. And it's like, you just, there's certain assumptions that I feel like are really hard to catch. Um, unless you have this because like you have this data that is sort of um just like that doesn't care about what your assumption was it's just a measurement of what happened in reality um and it lets you catch these things cuz I know I've run into sort of things sort of like where where these the you in these situations where like why would there be so, you know all this cellular data usage and it's like an overcast as far as it's like you do sell you very you know I remember you know years ago you doing battle with the um, you know, the downloader so that it would only, may only ever download on, you know, if, if based on your settings of, you know, use Wi Fi or use cellular. So, like, I, it's probably wasn't the, you know, the syncing of the, um, audio files themselves. It's going to be something else. And it's like, oh, you know, you, these, these are just normal server sync messages that you send irrespective of Wi Fi or cellular. And so it's like, the, in theory, they should be relatively straightforward and small and simple, but you found a, you found a situation where that assumption was, um, invalidated. And so, it's just one of those things that I think logging is so is so powerful for. Um, but one thing that I'm just kind of curious about with you is: are there things that you, when you are making a log, do you are you annotating that with things other than just the time? Um, like are, you, are are you using kind of like user specific uh, tokens, or how are you kind of keeping track of this in a way that you can sort of pull back together the timeline of what happened um, subsequently at the end?
0: So it's there's not much I can pull back because I'm not adding any user data to it. However, the log doesn't even get to me unless the user sends it to me, and like so, like you know, for privacy reasons, obviously you have to be careful how much you're logging and, and what you're logging and, and where those logs are going. Um, the way my logs work is they're just files locally and the only way you can get to them is on the feedback screen there's a button on the right that says debug log and again this is only in the current beta this is not in the app store version yet but it will be um, if apple lets me leave it there Um, and so you like you you hit debug log and then it opens up a share sheet with two text files attached one from the phone one from the watch that's it. <laughs> and and then you can choose what to do with that information. If you want to send it to me as part of a report, that's fine. People have largely figured that out. Uh but, you know, that's fine. So, from like a privacy perspective, I I I could theoretically like stick a user number in there or something, but I'd rather not just because I don't really need it. The, the main things I put in the log are things like, you know, obviously like the activity statements of things like, okay, we're syncing because this feed has changed. We're syncing because this artwork has changed, et cetera. You know, this download just completed over cellular. This one didn't. Um, but also I, I just have basic admin data like, okay, I'm running this build number. This is this PID, the same, similar to the NS log um, prefix where it has the date and the PID um, but also I just add like a version history or version number and build number to it. So I, that way I can tell when someone's sending a report from the beta, like, okay, which version were they actually running? Uh, are, the, are they running the latest build? You know, do I know of a certain problem with the one they are running, uh, et cetera. But for the most part, I'm not adding like more information than I think I would really need to diagnose particular problems. Uh, you know, so I'm not adding things like, you know, their, their login token or, or their email address if I have it or anything like that. Uh, because that's just not relevant to the problems i'm trying to solve.
1: Sure, cuz that was one of those things that i've in my past when i've gone down this road is like what's really awkward sometimes is there are certain like categories of um of bugs that are very hard to reproduce ge- sort of generically, but some some users configuration will be um it, you know, re- sort of re- reproduce a bug regularly and straightforwardly. And it's one of those tricky things where sometimes it's like I've definitely sort of done the thing where you you know, sort of essentially like make a, full, a fake login token and log in almost as though I'm that person. But it's always kind of a tricky thing where you're like, you don't want to obviously access someone else's, you know, someone's private data and get get into that in a way that starts to become privacy conscious. And so, like, it's a really awkward thing where sometimes you want to find this balance between collecting just enough data that you'd be able to recreate it essentially with fictitious data um without needing to go into the specific case of a specific person and what their specific, you know, actual like the, the the private the data that would be sort of privacy conscious or privacy a concern um is and so it's just always a, such a, a tricky thing, you know, it's like are you keeping track there it's like is it you know, when you say a feed has changed, are you keeping track of the actual feed ID there or just it's like some generic feed has changed. Oh, I mean in that case that's the
0: specific feed. <laughs> it's with with the okay. feed ID, but that's like, you know, it's just a podcast entry and i overcast just by the way it works already knows for this user id number they subscribe to feeds x y and z like it has to know that um so you know that's that's all that is but um but yeah i mean i, I again it's like i try to minimize the personal data whenever possible. Um there are certain cases where I think it's it's warranted to to associate. So like one example is on the ATP membership panel. There's a link to email us with any kind of question about your membership. And when you do that, it's a mail to link that includes in the subject line your membership number, like your your user ID number. And on my on the back end I have a crappy little admin panel that I can just paste in that number into either our dashboard or into Stripe's dashboard for payments. And that number just instantly brings up that customer's account and whatever info I might need to help, help help them fix their problem, and that kind of thing I think is totally fine. Of like, you're you're already my customer, you're already emailing me about your account, so I'll make it easier for me to find your account by having this number in the subject line that you can plainly see, like you know, like that. I feel yeah. like that kind of thing is okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I totally agree. I feel like there's something like in some ways the best kind of privacy stuff like this is always the sense of. It's giving the user control about what they're sharing with you. And like, this is another example where it's like, if you were automatically collecting those log files and streaming them to a server. In sort of transparently in the background which I'm sure there are systems in place in the world and there are many apps I'm sure that probably even do this like that starts is where you start to get into situations that become very yes complicated from a privacy perspective even though potentially you could find and track down a whole lot of bugs that that way but it's like as long as it's something where the user is making that choice and it's a conscious and a cl- sort of transparent uh, sort of opaque thing to, or sort of Whatever the opposite of transparent is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like making it sure so that it's clear to them. Yeah. It's like making sure that it's completely clear to the user that what they're doing is they're going to email you. And in that email, it's going to have a file. And the file isn't like some sort of, you know, garbled, cryptic thing. It's like, nope, it's just a plain text file. They can see exactly what's going with them. Um, then it feels like you're kind of in the clear for like they have made this choice to send it to you. Um, and it's you sort of, you're not imposing on their privacy. It's like you're just sort of responding to something that they want decided to share to you. Yeah, exactly.
0: All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for listening to this exciting episode about logging. <laughs> hey,
1: this, don't talk down to logs. Logs are very important. And I think it's, you know, it's it's time they finally got their due. And I'm glad we got that. But now we can record that event that uh, the podcast has ended. Thanks for listening everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.